This morning we're back in Revelation. You'd think we'd finish it up because we're so close to the end, but no such luck this morning. We're going to do five verses. Revelation chapter 22, 6 through 11. 6 through 11. Um, the, the title of our whole study in Revelation is The Time is Near. And you'll see as we look at today, there's a verse that says the time is at hand. Uh, the time is at hand. So that's sort of our subtitle for today. The time is at hand. But I really want to lean into faithful and true. That today's study is called Faithful and True in Revelation 22. Uh, in Psalm 42, 1 through 2, David says, As the deer pants after the water brooks, so my soul pants after you, O God. We all know that, I think, if we've been around the church and the Bible for a while. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When will I come and appear before God? That David says in the midst of that, when will I come and appear before God? That our cry as believers should be desiring to appear before God. And as we've seen in Revelation, there are many people who don't want to appear before God, who cry out, who want the rocks, the mountains to fall on them. No, no, no. I don't want to appear before God. God's appearing before me, and I don't want anything to do with Him. And as believers, we should be the opposite. Even when we failed, even when we sinned, we should know that we can still appear before God and come before the throne of grace and receive forgiveness for our sin. But Christmas is coming, and that's when God appeared to us, right? You know, it's hard to break these things down. We look at the Bible, and God's really appeared throughout the whole Scripture, Christophanies, all these other things that we can look at. But truthfully, that was God's Word appearing to us. The Word became flesh. He was born as a child, and we saw Him and beheld Him, the Scripture says. But revelation is coming upon us, and that's when God's really revealed, right? Jesus was God's Word made flesh, but the world didn't really see Him for who He was. The world didn't really get the big picture, and that's what revelation is about, revealing it all, showing the big picture of everything going on. And I wonder, are we ready? Would the, we rather the rocks fall on us sometimes? Would our neighbors rather the rocks fall on them than see Jesus? I mean, sometimes people say, oh, I don't want to go to church. The, the ceiling will fall in on me, right? Well, that's not true, right? The ceiling would probably fall in on the pastor too, if that was the case. But are we ready for that? And as we get to close in Revelation, I want to take a little bit slow and not just get to the end of it, because I want to make sure that we, we remember these things before we get to the very end. And we look at a couple things um, a little bit closer, and maybe even just in review. But if we remember, John was on the island of Patmos, the disciple John, he was exiled there. Uh, he was spending time with the Lord on uh, the Lord's Day, and God showed up in a big way. So much so that John said he fell down as dead, and the Lord had to touch him to revive him. Um, I don't think he actually died. I think he just spazzed out because the revelation of Jesus was that powerful. Jesus gave him letters to seven churches, as we remember, the seven church ages. We see the great tribulation come upon the earth, that troubling time, unlike any time the world has seen, the seven years to come. We think it's bad now. Just wait. You know, you think the, the past two years have been bad? Wait to the seven years of the tribulation. Uh, but let's look at uh, God gives a last-ditch effort for the world to repent. I think that's one thing that a lot of times we, we miss in Revelation, that it's not just God beating up the world, that he hates the world, that he hates it. he's giving them a chance to repent. That he's not just, okay, I'm done with it. He gives them seven years to repent. It's a rough seven years, but they, they have to be to get the attention of anyone who will turn. And we know that many don't. Uh, we see the judgment for the sins of everyone without Jesus and the destruction of the universe. We know that the great white throne judgment, like the coloring page they gave to the kids, everyone comes before God. And just to rehash that quote again, because it's so good, 
Chuck Missler said that the Bible says more about the end times than any other time in history. And I bring that up because I don't want to miss that. I don't want to miss that. A lot of the focus of the Bible is the time we're coming upon right now, is the future. A lot of times we think of the Bible as an ancient book. Oh, it was back then and has no application now. No, it was back then. It's good to know what happened back then. We need to learn history or we'll repeat it. But the fact that the Bible says more about what's coming than what's happened, or at least about a larger time period, I think is very important. Because it's not just Revelation. It's in Jesus' words, it's in the Gospels, it's in the Prophets, and Ezekiel, Daniel. It's woven throughout all of Scripture is the time we're coming upon. Because God wants us to be aware of these things. When they are revealed, He wants us to make sure that we're not so deceived that we miss out on what is actually happening. Uh, pre, I had another, I'm like, did I put the same thing twice? I was trying to figure out what I was doing. But we saw the last time, literally, it was a great white throne judgment. Creation was destroyed. You know, the real big bang when everything gets blown up, like Peter says. that The former things passed away. We saw new creation, new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem coming out of heaven. And that God was with his people. That's the aim of all this, is that God would be with us. Just like we're coming up on Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. That's all God wants, is to be with us again. Just like if I go away on work, all I want is to come home and be with my family. Again, I don't know if they feel that way about me. <laughs> I think they do. Uh, but sincerely, I, you know, I just want to come home. And that's what heaven is. Heaven is when we're home with God, but it's also where God is home with us. We saw in the, the New Jerusalem, it says that the temple of God is with man, that God is in the city. He's with them. He is the light. And Lord, we pray as we get into your word this morning that God, you would be our light. You would be with us. You would fill us, Holy Spirit. You would instruct us in all wisdom and righteousness and truth and doctrine and all that stuff. But God, we most of all, we want to walk away having had time with you this morning. Time with each other, yes. Time in the Word, yes. But most of all, that we would have seen you and met with you. And God, we know that you hear us. And God, even if we don't feel you, we know that you're here. And we know that you love us and you're looking upon us. So bless us, we pray in your Word. Uh, and please take away all our sin and anything that would get in the way of being close to you, God. We ask thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read verses 6 through 7 of chapter 22. And he says, John says, The angel said to me, These words are faithful and true. The Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angels to show his servants the things which must, must soon take place. And Jesus says, Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. We'll stop there to start. So it says the things that must soon take place, that the angels were sent, the prophets were sent to tell us of the things which soon must take place. And I believe that doesn't just speak of Revelation, that that speaks of the whole Bible, that God wants us to have the Bible that we might know, that we might not be in the dark, but that we would be in the light and we would come to the light that when you turn the light on things are revealed and god wants to reveal those things in our hearts as we read the bible god wants to reveal what we're hanging on to you know hebrew says that the word of god is sharper living it's uh, than a two-edged sword able to pierce between soul and spirit bone and marrow that when you read the bible god wants to be able to open up and say hey no this is what your real motive is hey this is what you're really feeling hey this is right and this is wrong and oprah can't do that <laughs> I don't even know if she's on TV anymore. All right, what's more modern? The view. The view can't do that. But the Word of God can give you the proper view of those things. And that's what God wants us to have. A proper view of not only ourselves, of Him, but of the things that are going on around us. And the stage that we see in the world has been manipulated for thousands of years. And it's just waiting for this curtain to be lifted, right? As we've seen that there's this other veil 
that Jesus is revealing in Revelation, that the world is waiting. Instead of this veil torn in the Holy of Holies at the cross, right, when the veil was torn and people could come into the holy place when they couldn't before, God's going to step back. If we remember the rapture, it's the Holy Spirit saying, okay, you guys aren't listening. I've tried for thousands of years. I've been at work through the church. You don't want it anymore. I've tried longer than you've wanted it. It's time for me to step back. It's time for me to take the church out and be raptured. And that's when all hell really is revealed on earth. And all the spiritual powers begin, we begin to see things in Revelation. These spiritual things that happen are clear. There's demons flying around. There's crazy things falling. There's a guy who claims to be God and people don't mind. There's all these spiritual things going on, right? But the people are so deceived that they miss the truth of it all. That even though all this stuff is being revealed, they don't see it. Why? Because they're deceived. They fall for it. Uh, we've been watching magic tricks on YouTube lately. Uh, you know, Penn and Teller, Fool Us, and these other shows. Um, but how easy it is, I marvel at how easy it is to get tricked. I watched this sketch of them from 1986 on Saturday Night Live. And the whole time they're doing these things, I'm wondering, do they have strings? Are they pulling them up? Are they magnets? And the whole thing was misdirected at the beginning that the camera was just upside down, that they had their feet strapped in. I'm sorry if I'm giving it away. They had their feet strapped in. They had a cup Velcroed on the table. And when they put things away, you could see when you watch it again, they stick it up under the table so it doesn't fall, right? They've got the table upside down. They're hanging. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm so dumb. <laughs> because you watch it the second time, you go, it's obvious. Their cheeks are, like, getting pushed up. Their shirts are folded in a funny way from being upside down. And the way they're holding things and passing things. But that's it. That's us. We are deceived so quickly and easily. And when you watch it again, you go, how could I ever be tricked by that? And that should be the same thing with us, with reality, with the scriptures. When we read the Bible, we should be able to look around and go, how could anyone be fooled by that? Well, the, the truth is they don't have the answers in front of them. They don't know the truth. We know the truth, right? We shouldn't have any excuse to be fooled by the things of the world. That sin is deceitful, and we need to remind ourselves whilst today about that, Hebrews says. You know, the birth pangs, when like someone's having a baby, the closer they get, they start to have, what is it? I always call it Tony Braxton contractions, but it's Braxton Hicks, right? Uh, you know, it's like these fake contractions. The body's getting ready, right? And then the final end, the body's actually getting ready to, to push this little one out into the world. And that's what's going on. Jesus says in Matthew 24, I don't need to read it, we've read it, multiple times, but read it again for later. He says, all these things are the beginning of sorrows, the earthquakes, the diseases, the troubles, the wars, the rumors of wars, the famines. And a lot of people look around and say, oh no, we must be in the tribulation because it's happening. No, Jesus is saying, it's going to get even worse than this, guys. But remember that all these things happening more often, more frequently, is not just because we have the internet, not just because we have TV, not just because we know what's going on around the world, but because there's actually more of them going on. And it's not because, again, like I've said, it's not because you and I don't drive a Prius. It's because of sin in the world. Romans 8.22 says, We know the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. That ever since Adam and Eve fell, there's been birth pangs. More and more and more and more and more. Because creation is breaking under the weight of sin. That the world is broken because of sin. The laws of entropy exist, in a sense, because of sin. And again, the scripture, and what I believe is evident based on the heart of God from them and my experience, that the tribulation is not meant for us as believers. I know there's arguments against it, and that's fine, and I'm willing to hear them and talk about them, but you can be wrong. No, I, but we'll all find out when we get there. But I really don't think that that's the heart of God. I think it's meant for believers in name only, sure. 
people, I think people who believe they might go through tribulation are going to get raptured and they're going to be a little surprised. Whoa, what happened? <laughs> right? But if we look at the letters of seven churches, as we did in our beginning study of Revelation, you might see that some of the quote-unquote church, just like we have Republicans in name only, there's believers in name only, they're going to go through this time and they're going to be uh, set up for it. But again, this book, and I don't just mean Revelation, I mean the 66 books of the Bible, describes everything that we're experiencing and going through in our day and age. It goes, it's personal, it's about our lives. We can read it and read about these goat herders 2,000 years ago, like Abraham, and God can minister to us, a shepherd out in the fields of Israel, and be ministered to by that. But I believe it also exposes and, ex and can give answers to literally any topic you want to talk about in the news. And here's a section that I might go off on rails, or I might not. I'll see if we can get through it. But things like one world government. This push for all the world to come under a world government, if you read about these guys, the World Economic Forum and other things, the G20 and all these talks where all these governments come together and they talk about it, it's not secret anymore. They want a new world order. They've even said it. That they want, and I think even in a sense, if you take the Bible out of it, you take sin out of the equation, and you just look logically on the world with fleshly man eyes, you go, yeah, why wouldn't you just have one more government? Why wouldn't you just consolidate and make it easier for everybody? And there wouldn't be wars, everyone would be controlled, it would be perfect, and we could solve all the world's problems by making sure that no one has gas cars anymore, and no one has poverty anymore. It's not going to work, but you could see why the world would get swept up in this, thinking that they can figure it out when they miss the real problem. We look at Russia, China, Iran, this, uh, this uh, going against UN and NATO, this BRICS Union, look up BRICS, Brazil, uh, China, um, all these others, India is getting involved, all these other countries are joining, right? I even read about, I forget, I think it was a country in Africa, they're no longer going to use the US dollar, they're going to use their own gold reserves to start buying oil. The US dollar is going away. Our power, our influence is going away. We see these policies. The Bible talks about these things happening, talks about these powers, talks about the Antichrist coming, this European power, and there's a few that break away and that resist. Talks about Magog and Gog all being aligned. It's all in there. The restructuring of the West, borderless, the economic transfer, they're talking about paying back reparations, but not for slavery, but for climate change. That you've been most affected by our country's burning of fossil fuels, so we're going to give you money, and guess who's getting a bunch of that? Well, they still consider China a third world country and China's going to benefit. This is, guys, <laughs> the Bible talks about all this stuff. The, the Guidestones, remember we saw in Georgia, the World Economic Foreman, there's already a king in the world. I don't know if it's Klaus Schwab or not, but he seems like he could be already running the, the show. You know, not that he's in this direct, we expect, we expect this Disney fairy tale of this king in a castle with a scepter and we all, but really... All these people get together. There's all this influence. They all come down. It trickles down. There's a global power already, guys. Whether we like it or not. That's why they didn't like Trump. That's why they didn't like us. That's why they come up with these things. Because we're the ones who don't want it. Everyone else is ready to go along with it. Except for maybe those in the Middle East. And those in Russia. But remember, Obama's rise out of nowhere. I'm not saying Obama's the Antichrist. You know, I'm not going that far. But remember how this guy came out of nowhere and all of a sudden was exalted to the top and became president out of nowhere. How did that happen? That wasn't by accident. You know, I, I think the, the rise of the Antichrist is going to be very similar. This, after the, the rapture, this guy's just going to rise out of nowhere. Everyone's going to go along with what he says and what he wants to do, and he's going to be propped up and take over. I think it's going to be a little more sinister than even Obama. 
but they're going to exalt him. Cashless society. This, if you read the news lately about push towards centralized currency, digital currency, the world wants. I mean, I was. My dad sent a check for my wife's birthday. Thank you, dad. That's awesome. I appreciate it. Always. I like I said the other day. I really was upset that the postal service got it wrong and there weren't two checks. But I showed my kids how a check work. I'm like, guys, this is old technology. I'm glad it exists. But like, I'm scanning it on my phone, and my phone, every time I do it, my phone's like. Ask them to do an electronic payment next time. Ask them to do an electronic payment. Like, you know, checks are good. You can't steal it, right? I mean, there's check fraud and everything, but, you know, you don't send cash to the mail. But I love cash. I don't have much of it. But if I can spend with cash, no one knows what I make. No one knows what I spend. No one knows what I buy. No one knows who gives me money, right? And the government doesn't like that because they can't control it. They can't tax it. They think that, you know, you're going to do a crime or something. And so this push towards pay, uh, digital currency where there's a centralized bank, where there's centralized control, puts you and I in control. No matter what you think of Kanye West, the fact that he got his Apple Pay shut down, he got his Chase banking shut down, all because he said things that I certainly don't agree with. I think he's totally wrong and off his rocker. But the fact that he loses, he, he loses his banking for that, that one bank can call another, that literally uh, somebody called Apple Pay and said, hey, can you take him off of that? And they did. What about you and me? Talk about the truckers in Canada. Turn off their bank accounts. Makes sense. Government says we want to, we need to control people. We need to keep our narrative, our control in there. The Bible talks about all this. Cash aside, you will not be able to buy or sell without the mark. In the old days, it, it doesn't matter if you had a tattoo in your arm. You, you could still cheat and get around the side and give your cash or trade or barter. But in the days that are coming... You're not going to be able to do that. Everything is going to be electronic, or at least in my estimation, it could be. We talked about artificial intelligence and the beast and the rise of this intelligence that people are beginning to worship and look to for answers. It's been in the stock market for years. There's, they're releasing now drones uh, that fly along with one fighter pilot, and they do what the fighter pilot wants them to do. It's like a squadron, but there's only one pilot. I mean, didn't these guys watch Terminator? <laughs> Don't they know about Skynet? You know, if James Cameron can predict it, Definitely the Bible can. Fake news, the amount of deception that's in our world. I know I'm going through a grocery list, but I think it's important. Because if we look at the state of the church, we go, why are the things happening in the church that are happening in the church? Well, just read the first couple of chapters of Revelation, and it's all spelled out. I don't think we do that. I think we miss that. If you want to get weird, talk about UFOs. Look at Ezekiel. Just read the first couple of chapters of Ezekiel and tell me that's not what people might think are UFOs. You know, the Bible talks about angels and Job going from heaven to earth and back and forth. The, in Jacob's dream, they go up and down this ladder. And we see these thermal cameras from fighter jets chasing an unknown object. Whether it's a drone or not, I don't know. But if it's not, if it's not human technology, it's spiritual. Why isn't it pinging back on radar? Well, because it's not a physical object, right? We forget all these things. We think that, man, there's so much more. The Bible explains it all. I've talked for hours about each of these. It says in 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, the coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. That the key to all this is that if we don't receive the love for the truth, you know, as I said, you'll fall for anything. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. If you don't receive the love of the truth, you're, not, you're going to be looking for love of something else. You're going to be looking to love conspiracy theories or love government policy. 
And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And that's the Lord have my wife take the kids out because the next few things probably shouldn't be around the kids. But if we look at all the things now that are going on with abhorrent sexuality in Romans 1, it's evident. God says that they stopped loving God. They put God away. They said there, there is no God. They started worshiping themselves and worshiping sexuality. And that's what's going on. Genetic manipulation, right? It's weird as it is, you can look in Genesis 6 and read about the Nephilim and we see that that's satanic to begin with. We know that the Antichrist is going to fly this flag of diversity. And I don't necessarily mean that's wrong to have different cultures together. But the sexual, quote-unquote, diversity flag. It says in Daniel 11.37 that he's going to be gay. The world's already flying his flag out there. They're already pushing the armbands in the uh, soccer tournament, right? There's bigger fish to fry, and they're worried about that for some reason. Why? Because it's the spirit of the Antichrist. The rise in the belief in the theory of evolution. This is Romans 1. Worship the creature rather than the creator. If Satan comes in and says, there's no God, you came out of nothing, well then, anything goes. You unlock all sorts of immorality as soon as you say that you are just nothing, the universe is nothingness. I mean, seriously, why not go shoot up a school full of kindergartners if the universe is nothing and we came out of nothing and there's no consequence? What's the difference? There's no right and wrong, guys. It should be okay to do that if that's what's true. But it's not what's true. There's still this morality in us that clings on, but not for long. Nuclear weapons, pandemics. You read in Ezekiel and Daniel about people go around marking the land in the last days when they see bodies, when they see other things going on. Why? Because it's polluted and people can't go near it and the land can't be inhabited. Why? Syria is going to be, uh, Damascus is going to be a ruinous heap, the Bible says. Every time Syria or Damascus comes up in the news, I'm like, is this the time they're going to bomb it? <laughs> I don't know when that's going to happen, but the Bible says it will. So keep an eye on that. Again, this increase in odd weather and natural disasters, as much as Greta would disagree, it's not because of our fossil fuel use. I'm sure there might be a slight contribution there. I'm not going to disagree necessarily with that. But the world's not going to end because of that. The world's ending because of our sin. Mass shootings, like I said, the Bible says the love of many will grow cold. People don't love each other anymore. The moms cheering their abortions. Where's the love? And when women go that loveless, the, the loving, sensitive side of society, well, then you know we're in trouble. Abortion, you look at the Old Testament, uh, they sacrificed their children for prosperity. That's exactly what it is now. They're not even hiding it anymore, God bless you. Feminism. Genesis, right? I don't think that women are not equal. The Bible says itself that women are just as good as men in God's sight. We just have different roles. There's a man's role and there's a woman's role. But we're both equal before God, just like, just like every race is, just like every age is, just like every nation is, just like uh, every intelligence level is. God doesn't care about that. We're all his children. But feminism in Genesis, God said, your desire is going to be rule over your husband because of sin. You're going to want to rule the world. You're going to want to take over and take the jobs. Like, I, My wife gets to stay home and raise the kids, and I have to work to support her. I don't understand how that is lesser. If Ash could go to work and I could just stay home and do whatever I want and start my own business or raise the kids. Oh, I don't know if it's to raise the kids. I'm not very good at changing diapers and stuff. But sincerely, what's so bad about that? Well, obviously it got out of control and people were controlling and, you know, there's, 
I, I, I don't think the toxic masculinity is what they say it is, but there's definitely that sort of angle there when it's abused, when it's not in love. But God's design is not that. God's design is perfect and it's holy and the world's twisted it. The race wars, as Jesus talks about that, nation against nation, it's ethnos against ethnos. Anti-Semitism in the Middle East, again, was this peace treaty that the Antichrist is going to bring about, right? We know that between the Israelites and the Palestinians, between the Arabs around them. They're going to have the temple and they're going to have the mosque. And he's going to be this glorious guy who finally brings peace, so to speak. But even if we look at the removal of traditions, you know, we we're starting to set up the Christmas tree yesterday. You guys are doing the same thing lately. And how nice it is to have these traditions or Thanksgiving where you just don't have to think about it. You just do it. It's just something you do every year. And through that thing that you do every year, setting up the lights, getting pricked by the bushes outside, putting them up, eating dinner, these little things that we just do over and over, that yeah, it's easy to get lost and forget what they really mean. But just how special it is to have that foundation where you can just do these special things every year, not have to think about it, and just enjoy it, enjoy time together as family. And then from that, even get to think about, yes, we get to worship Jesus through a, a tree we cut down in the woods yesterday. But how special of a memory that is just by doing these traditions and not by tossing it aside. And the Bible says that, like in Proverbs, don't remove the ancient landmarks. Because bad things happen. And that's what we're doing now. We're removing traditions, even basic facts of life, that you're a boy if you're a boy, and you're a girl if you're a girl. The facts that a baby is always a baby. The facts that right is right and wrong is wrong. That you're racist if you don't like another race unless you're white. These things, when we do take them and remove them, puts us only in one place, and that's confusion. And God is not the author of confusion. He's not the God of chaos. He's the God of order. But Satan loves confusion because it twists us, tangles us up. When you forget the very basics that you're a boy, how messed up is your life then? Nothing is steady. There's no rock to stand on. You have to think about these basic things that you can't even enjoy the other things in life. And that's my point about tradition. Just this basic thing that we just do that we get to enjoy other things on top of it. And if you can't even have the foundation of that you are who God made you to be, that's what the Bible said. It's going back to the Garden of Eden. Did God really say that you're a man when you were born a man? Did God really say that you're a woman when you are born a woman? Yeah. That's, it wants to fly in the face and say that you're God and that you know better and that you can be whatever you want to be. Well, God says you can be more than that, that you being who you are is your fulfillment. You don't need to change your gender because you can't. No matter what you cut off, no matter what you take, no matter what you look like, you still are who God made you to be. Persecution of Christians on the rise. See about these, I don't know uh, all the facts, but apparently these missionaries walk across the country. They have a sport vehicle. They got in a fight with somebody in Montana and now they're in jail apparently. Why are these things happening? Even in America. We look at cults, movements, personalities. Jesus said in the last days, false Christ will arise. That doesn't mean that they're all going to claim to be God or claim to be Jesus. It's going to claim that they're going to have all the answers. That they're going to know the best thing for you. And the list goes on. Again, I bring this up because it's all explainable. And sometimes I dare say easily by the scripture. Vegetarianism. All these things. Pushing to eat bugs to help the planet. And again, not that I know it all or that I get it all right or that I've achieved some level. I haven't. But the more time I spend in the Bible, the more I realize, oh, the answers are simple. Oh, God was right. I don't need a 10-page dissertation on why this is wrong. 
God just says, I created them male and female. That's it. I don't need a college degree to figure that one out. But I wonder why people don't vote the way I do sometimes or think the way I do or want the same things I do or are content in other things or lesser things, especially amongst the church. That's why I get it when the world goes these ways. I don't get it in some sense. I'm like, come on, it's obvious. But at the same time I go, well, I know the Bible. I know deception's coming. So I know that you're deceived and you're wrapped up and confused and sin like spaghetti. You know, my kids have learned to tie their shoes recently, right? It's so hard because so many young kids' shoes are Velcro. So you get them actual shoes with laces to teach them. It takes until they're like 15. But that's what happens is people get all tangled and twisted, right? And sometimes it takes a lot to untangle them. But people have been so entangled by the way of the world and sin that they're tied in knots. And we try and pull on it. It doesn't get looser. It's getting tighter. And I think that that's part of the reason why God says, okay, all the knots are tied and steps away. And my mom always shared this verse with me, uh, Hosea 4, 6a. It says, Hosea 4, 6a, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. That God says his people, the people of the living God, are destroyed because they don't know. And how hard is it to know things? It's hard to be smart. Not all of us can be. But is it really hard to know? And does Romans 10 not say, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God? And I say, have they not heard? Yes, they have heard. The sound has gone out to all the earth and the words to the ends of the world. The whole world heard the gospel. We, how many Bibles do we have in the house? And we still don't know. Why do we suffer lack? Again, not that we should be rich and have all our needs met, so to speak, in the way we think they should be, or Joel Osteen might think it should be. But I mean spiritually. Why do we miss these things? Why do Christians go headlong and think that abortion should be legal and vote for Joe Biden when they know the Scriptures? Do they know the Scriptures? Because they wouldn't. We don't know. I think we don't pray. I think mostly, maybe we're just not interested in the truth. And I don't know that I'm not speaking to anyone here. I mean, we're all in some crazy guy's living room on a Sunday morning. I think you're interested in the truth. But it's all right here in the Bible. So when we're interested in, in the things of the God and the things of truth, we don't have to know everything. We don't have to know every scripture. We just have to desire God. And we begin to, we begin to seek that truth. And these things become clear. We go, I don't really know why that's wrong. I can't really argue against it. I don't know necessarily what the Bible says, but God's spirit within me says something's off here. And that should be the catalyst to say, well, what does the Bible say? Or as you're praying, as you're reading, God, what do you really say about this? And not that we need to know everything that's going on in the world. The Bible says be simple concerning evil, but wise concerning good. There's so much wickedness. And I think a reason why wickedness has spread so much is because it's so easy just to tell everyone what you're thinking. Twitter, the internet. It's so easy to share your personal perversion everywhere put it on the back of your car and it spreads like wildfire. These things that were hidden, that were suppressed, that were kept inside you are now for the whole world to see. And that's why it's spreading. That's why these kids are confused because they're confused. Thoughts are put in their head that are confusing. These darts, fiery darts of the enemy stick in their head and cause a fire and they don't have any way to put it out. They don't have the water of the word to wash them and put out that fire. Because when we do see the truth, you can't unsee it. It's like it's the reverse of being woke, right? 
Once you see these things, you can't unsee it. It's clear. And Jesus says, as we see these things, look, I am coming soon. So our responsibility as believers, especially in Revelation, is to look for his coming. And I've seen videos online about people trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. And I get the motive there in a sense, but we're never going to know. If they just read the rest of the Bible, they would see that we could never figure him out. But he doesn't get revealed until after the rapture of the Holy Spirit comes away. The Holy Spirit moves and the man of lawlessness was revealed. It's that obvious, so I don't know why people try and figure it out. Even if you have a really good guess, it's probably not going to be right. But even more than that, who should we be really excited to see? Should we be looking for the Antichrist? Or should we be looking for Jesus? I don't want to see the Antichrist. He's going to be an evil dude. I want to see Jesus. I want to see the lover of my soul. I want to see him return. I want to hear that trumpet sound and go home to heaven and see his face. And that's what excites me about this. That's why I look around and I see these things. I go, yeah, he is coming back soon. And you guys are all crazy for doing the things you're doing. And I'm not going to go that way. I want to go the other way. And these things should excite us. It doesn't need to consume us. I've gotten caught up in it before. I've had friends who all they were into was revelation. And I get it. It's exciting. It's cool. You kind of have this crystal ball that no one else has, right? But it doesn't need to consume us in that way, right? We forget the other things. We forget the epistles. We forget the scripture. We forget that it can drive people away if we start, we're going to sound like a conspiracy theorist if we talk about this all day even though we're not. But it should excite us to go to heaven. It should be excite us to get caught up to heaven. It should excite us to look at the rest of the Scripture and say that the rest of the Scripture was preamble to this. That the rest of the Scripture was pointing us and getting us ready for what's coming. And Jesus says, Blessed is he who keeps the word of this prophecy. Jesus says it. Not just John, hey guys, it's a good idea if you read this. Trust me, it was fun. No, Jesus comes in and says, Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy. And do we not want all of God's blessings? At Christmas time, do my kids not want to open all the gifts they have for them? They want to open them now. I got I to gotta put them behind lock and key. I told them how I used to shake gifts as a kid and figure out if they were Legos or not. It's easy for me to put a, a, something up high where Ash can't reach it, but Mia's getting pretty tall. Sorry, we had to... But do we not want all of God's blessings? Why do we skip out on this one? I feel like this is the biggest one. To know what's coming, to know that he's coming, the assurance of the promises, the guarantee of our salvation, our new home, the fact that evil's being done away with, that all the craziness and politics in the world is already explained and we don't have to figure it out because it's really easy to figure out from the scripture. And why does the church want to skip out on all this? Maybe perhaps it reminds us that this kingdom of earth is not ours, that the church is a temporary and ultimately failing institution. If the church succeeded, Jesus could come back and say, hey guys, great job. Let's all have a party now. Revelation wouldn't have to happen. But in a sense, the church fails. I don't mean that against the church. I don't mean against that the Holy Spirit. It's just that the world doesn't want the influence of the church. And so even if the church is most successful, which I believe it is, it's done as much as it could, the church, the world doesn't want it. It's like a, a bad marriage, right? Like as, as good as one spouse can be, if the other one doesn't want it, every effort that the spouse does fails. Like Jesus said, have I not reached out to you like a, a chicken to its, its chicklets, its hen to its chickens to bring them in? But you refuse all the day long, he says. 
But again, if our influence ultimately fails, quote-unquote, why is our goal making seeker-friendly clubs? Why is our goal to get as many people in the church, whether they really believe it or not, whether they really mature or not? Why is it a numbers game? And that's something about exposing the truth, encouraging each other to love each other and care for each other's needs. Why is it not a place where worship is paramount, where prayer is encouraged, where even in a sense, I know it doesn't really happen until the end, but where the weed is separated from the chaff. When people come and say, no, no, there's too much God for me here. I'm going to go to the church down the street. I want to be that place where people are like, no, there's too much God for me here. I want them to encounter that, whether they like it or they don't like it. Because that's what I want. That's what I need. I can't go to a place that's just a billboard and a coffee mug and a fancy sermon. I want to go to a place where Christ is preached. And I'd rather go to a place where Christ is preached and where it's holy and where there's real fellowship. But it's hard for me to do that as a pastor. It's hard for me to walk into another place and not just want to like flip the table sometimes. And so I'm stuck here in my living room and I'm glad that you entertain me. But sincerely, I want you guys to go to the best place that God has for you, especially if that's not here. Because that's where I want to be. If you find a better place, tell me. I will go with you. It would be easier. But like that song talks about a narrow road. I think sometimes our road is going to be narrow, especially in these last days, like the Bible says, where a lot of the churches like to see. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of faithful churches in the area. I know a pastor is faithful and he loves his church and loves the word. But for some reason, God wants us for this season to do something different. And back to that, Revelation, it's the finale. Ash and I have been watching the show Hoarders. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Looks like my room in high school. But I always tend to stop it a little early at the end. And she's like, stop, stop, stop. I want to see like what happened to the people. And I go, oh no. And I try and get back. And then Amazon starts over from the beginning. I'm like, sorry, I can't get all the way to the end. So I try to, I try to like not touch the remote when we get to the end so we can see the results. But why would you not want to know what happens to these people, right? Growing up, watching a lot of hockey. Sadly, I can't watch hockey anymore. I can't show to the kids the things that they're promoting now. But the playoffs was the best time of the year. It was the wildest, craziest, fastest, most brutal hockey of the season. Why would I watch all season and then, eh, I don't need to see the playoffs. I understand with baseball, there's 8,000 games. But with hockey, when there was less games, or football, when there's, what, 13 games in the season, you're going to watch the Super Bowl. It's the most important game of the season. Or the end of a movie. If it's a good movie, why would you walk out with 10 minutes left? The end of a season, of a show, or... Whatever. Why would we skip the very end? And I think as believers in the church, we read the whole Bible. We love it. It's great. But then somehow, uh, we don't want to know the end. We don't want to read Revelation. I got to get up and go to the bathroom. I'm not going to, I'm not going to stay. You tell me what happens later. Why? I don't understand. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here, so please don't get me wrong. Because when we read the Bible, we know the other stories. Why do we care less how it ends? Is Jesus and the Gospels good enough for us? Sure, if that's all we had. I mean, that's, that's what all the Old Testament is pointing to. But what did Jesus do? He ascended. He ascended. He's not walking around Jerusalem anymore. We're the ones walking around Jerusalem. We're the ones walking around Samaria to the ends of the earth. The, the disciples were looking up saying, hey, Jesus went up. And then two angels showed up and said, hey, guys, get to work. That's what we're supposed to be doing, get to work. But then why do we not know when work is over? How often did you go to school or go to work and not check your clock? My kids don't, I've taught my kids analog time and they've learned it. 
But I, re I know why it's ingrained in my mind, because growing up, I would look at the analog clock in the school and know right when my class ended. And I could count down to the minute and estimate and, and get an idea because I knew class would be over, school would be over. So you study the clock to know when it's over. Why do we not study the clock to know when it's over? Do we really want to be here that bad? I mean, yeah, family's great. Christmas is great. Traditions are great. Going out in the woods is great. Uh, watching movies is fun. But do I really want to be here? Should I really want to be here? To me, this is what's more exciting than anything else in the Bible. No offense to all this other stuff, which is plenty exciting, because all that stuff has happened. This stuff is happening and about to happen. It's what's set aside more than that for you and me. You and I were born for such a time as this. Even if Jesus doesn't come back for a thousand years, don't believe that. I think it'll be real soon. We're born for this time. This is meant for us, guys. People think, oh, I don't fit in. I don't belong. I don't know if I'm a boy or a girl. No, you were made for such a time as this. And that's exciting to me. And let's go on and finish out. Verse 8 and 9. It says, I, John, am he who saw and heard these things. When I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. For I'm your fellow servant and of your brothers, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Then he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book. The time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And that's where we'll stop for today. But it's interesting that even John gets caught up here. That he has wrong worship here. That he's seen the amazing quality of the message. He's seen all these things go on. He's overwhelmed. But he's still John in the flesh, just gets to be transported to the spiritual things. He hasn't received his new body yet. He's still a man of like passions. And he sees the truth of it, and he hears this message of the angel, and he begins to fall down and worship this angel. He gets so lost. And the angel goes, cut it out, John. This is, no, don't worship me, because I'm your fellow servant. He's saying, hey, look, angels are fellow servants. So just as we serve God, they serve God. That if they come to you with a magic tablet or a doctrine, don't take it from them unless it's in the presence of God. And God's given it all. Revelation is the end of it. Don't add or take away. So when an angel comes and tries to add something to this, Joseph Smith, don't take it. And if you remember, we're made a little bit lower than the angels. Physical ability, you and I can't just change our appearance. You and I can't just walk through a wall. You and I can't just go up to heaven and come back and fly around like a UFO. But angels can. But they're a little bit lower than us in spiritual authority. They don't get free will. They, they choose once, and that's it. We have free will. We can repent. We can turn back. But more than that, we're the children of God. We're the sons of God, literally. And so we have that ability that they, in a sense, look up to, in a sense that Satan is even jealous of to an extent. He says, John, you, like your brothers, the prophets, that there's something special about the office of prophet. That we shouldn't despise prophecy. But in the same sense, we're all one family. That we shouldn't worship each other. We shouldn't say, oh, that guy is so good at teaching. That girl is so good at worship. That person is so good at evangelism. That guy's got such a big church. This person, why do we worship each other for these things? Are we not all brothers and sisters? Has God, like with Joseph, and uh, given him a greater portion for some reason, for a purpose? And given Benjamin, like at the dinner, dinner table, gave him that greater portion for a purpose? And his brothers hated him for it. We exalt each other or we hate each other for it. 
And instead, we should worship God in it. Right? Because you don't know. The guy with the big ministry, the girl with the great voice, maybe she doesn't even love God. Maybe she loves the attention. Maybe she's gotten there because of her looks and her voice and her talent, but not because of her spiritual prowess. Maybe that guy has taken advantage of everybody along his way to become the biggest church in the area. Maybe he doesn't really preach the truth. I don't know. I hope that they do, but God knows. So I, my point there is not to knock anyone who has a big church or a great talent because God uses them both and they're both important. And if there was a great big church with great talented people and they love God, that's where I would go. I wouldn't go to some small church with a lousy talent without God. But we have this cult of personality in the last days. There's nothing wrong with having a good leader. Nothing wrong with having someone lead by example and be blessed by God like Billy Graham or some of that nature of that. But again, it's not entertainment. The Christian life is not this Western, we sit down and we watch the game happen in front of us and then we, we wear the jersey and we go home. No, it's, everybody gets to go on the field and we play and worship together. But most of all that, we're not worshiping Christianity. We're not worshiping the organization of church. We should be worshiping God. But that's our aim. We don't fall down before a good messenger. We fall down before the word of God and everything. And Jesus says, do not seal these words. That this shouldn't be hidden in some library. That Gandalf in the Lord of Rings runs away to some library to dig out some ancient wisdom about what's going on. That shouldn't be us with the Bible. That shouldn't be us with Revelation scrambling to figure out what's going on in the world. We should be versed in it. We should know it. And I think hopefully we've at least scratched some surface of it in our study in Revelation. That when these things go on, go, oh yeah, I read that when I was in eighth grade. I knew that was coming. Because it shouldn't be skipped. It shouldn't be untaught. It shouldn't be, most of all, unloved. Deuteronomy numbers, skip it all day long if you want. Revelation, don't skip it. Read Deuteronomy numbers, don't get me wrong. But sincerely, God doesn't say fall in love with numbers. He says you're not a number. Even though 666, you're going to have a number and you're going to have a mark and you're just going to be reduced to a, 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 a digital ID because it needs to be kept. Revelation needs to be kept close at hand. The time is at hand. I'm going to have it at hand. It should be top of mind, right? Even in the beginning, the time is near. The day is closer now than when we first began. And if something's at hand, you're ready. You're there. If you're going to do a movie, you have your tickets ready. You got them out. If you're going to a, a, a music concert, same thing. You're not going to leave them in the car. License and registration. When the cop pulls over, all right, you know, I already know where it is. I'm thinking about it. Rings on a stage during a wedding ceremony. Imagine the ring bearer didn't have the rings or your best man. You know, we played that joke on one of my friends who was getting married. We all kind of went like this down the line and back up. Like we don't have the ring. It was dumb, but we enjoyed it. But if we didn't have the ring, it kind of would have put the ceremony in chaos. At least the bride would have been like, what? You know? So why are we that way with the end times? Why do we leave our ring at home, so to speak, with that? We should have it in our pocket, on our mind, because the time is here, because the time is at hand. In verse 11, as we close, there's a tough verse. It says, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. You know, doesn't, want, doesn't God want everyone to repent? Why say unrighteous be unrighteous still? And my inkling was correct, thank you, Lord. But when I checked the commentary, I said the same thing I was thinking that. It's about the time. The time is so short that it's almost as if you're not going to have time to repent. The time is so short, don't get sidetracked because the moment you get sidetracked, the Lord's going to come back and you're like, I wish I didn't get sidetracked. 
Robertson, one of the commentaries, says, it is the hopelessness of the final state of the wicked, which is here pictured. It's a hopeless state. The states of both the evil and good are now fixed forever. There is no word here about a second chance after. If the warnings of this book are not sufficient, there is no more that God has to say, Walford says. That's big. If the warnings of this book are not sufficient, there is no more God has to say. This is it. This is the end, guys. God doesn't have another scripture to add, another book to give, another revelation, some deeper knowledge. This is it. It's all revealed here. And if you don't like it, you don't get it, you don't want it, well, what hope is there for you? The Bible says those who have tasted the good things of God and have turned away, well, there's no hope of repentance for them, of turning them back. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and now is the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Like God says, this is it. I'm coming back. Are you ready? You don't have time. Don't wait until you're 50. Don't wait until you're 60. Don't wait until you graduate college. Don't wait until whatever it is. If you hear the message now, if it pricks you, if it gets a hold of your heart, go now. Do it now. So are we ready? Are we safe from the outcome of our sin? Thanks be to Jesus that he came. But do we have our ticket ready? Or are we going to be found faithless with our pockets turned inside out saying, God, I didn't know. Well, we know, and God gave us that opportunity. So let's close in prayer. Father, God, if we're not ready, if there's things in our life that we've been putting off or not doing or not repenting of or not confessing or whatever it is, God, I pray that you would help us deal with those things, get them out of the way that we can serve you more freely. God, let us be excited about your coming. Not be upset about it, but be ready for it. Not that we need to be an expert in the end times. That's hard. There's a lot of things, a lot of moving parts, a lot of things that we just can't know. But we do know that you're coming soon. So God, I pray that everyone listening, everyone in this room, anyone who listens online, that God, that they would come to you, that they would choose this moment to follow you uh, in your name and by your spirit. God, uh, we love you. God, give us the courage by your spirit to do that. God, whatever you've called each of us to do in this set appointed time, let us do that. And uh, God, may your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. So may God bless you and keep you and his face shine upon you. There is a vineyard of the Lord. There is a vineyard for us soul. With all our troubles left behind the door, we drink first light until.